right, here we are, smack dab, right in the middle of everyone's favorite major of the year. Well, I shouldn't say everyone because it's personally not my favorite, but the guest I have today um, definitely says it's his favorite. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. How are you? Hey, this is my favorite slam of the year by far. I don't understand why people hate it so much. I think it's a mixture of the, the time zone difference, especially like if you're on the West Coast, it's, it's just really not feasible for you to get up and watch any matches live. And the, the French... The French audience and the whole, uh, excuse this pun, isn't, is, is je ne sais quoi a French term? Yeah. The je ne sais quoi of the tournament compared to the other three Grand Slams, it's a little lacking. It's getting there. I will say, like, with the change of the, the, uh, um, the different colors around the court, like, have you noticed they changed the, the seat color from green to beige in, like, 2020 or something? Yeah, when they redid Flip Chatrier. Yeah, it looks, it yeah. looks it's, it's a lot more visually pleasing to the eye. And for years, it wasn't visually pleasing. The only thing that was visually pleasing was Rafa and his tight shorts. That was, that was <laughs> to me, to me, a long way since the pirate Capri pants. We have come a long way since the Capris that were touching his calves. We have come. I feel way. like people used to say that all the time about Roland Garros, that it had like the worst facilities that the players hated it. And now I just hear like, maybe it's since the renovations, like the grounds are great. People love that Simone Mathieu court. That's like out in the greenhouse, out in that park. They rave about that. So maybe it is getting better. Huh? I think it's it's on my list of places to go, but it's not high. It's not like super high. And then it'll be the it'll be the spot for the 2024 Olympics. And I think they've been renovating with that in mind because they don't want it to be a complete shit show or people from all over the world to show up and be like, is this where the Olympics are? (laughs) So they're they're definitely putting in overtime to make it a a, a more uh, leisurely and attractive uh, spot. But um. I'm happy to have you on the podcast. This is your first time on the show. And uh, tell the people where they can find you on Twitter. I usually do that at the end of the show, but um, it, it popped up in my head today. Just now. So my <laughs> current Twitter handle is at Slomo Delpo, uh, which I've debated having changed with the demise of Juan Martin Del Potro on the professional tour. But I think I just love him too much to change it. And it's a nice little tribute to him. I, I could sit and watch like, forehand compilations of Juan Martin on YouTube, like the entire summer long, I'd be perfectly happy doing that. So we might keep it just to honor him. I like it. It's, it definitely is like, you know, you're going to sign up for tennis commentary when you see the Twitter handle. I mean, I feel like that's what joined us in the Twitterverse in the first place. Tennis, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yes. I mean, you can't get better than that. And then we've already covered that this is your favorite tournament. So let's get into some of the first week shenanigans, shall we? I love first week shenanigans. I know. That's why I wanted to bring you on. You said like this is like a lot of things happen in the first week that people kind of like really skirt over when they do their two week recaps. And I've never thought about doing a midweek recap. I've seen it done by other podcasts, but I was just like, Mm, it would be kind of redundant, but I think with your expertise with Roland Garros, it'll be a fun uh, a dive into what's already happened at Roland Garros. Yeah, and I think a lot of people sort of judge slams like the whole two weeks based on like who the winner is or what the finals like and then sort of ignore everything else. And I sort of like will watch and keep track of a slam and like follow like smaller individual storylines rather than who just the winner is at the end. So I see it more as like like a tv season rather than just like one big thing at the end there's a lot to pay attention to and like if i'm entertained every day of the tournament even if it's got like a dud winner at the end at least there was other interesting stuff happening throughout those two weeks well the question is so far have you been entertained i'm always entertained by friendship (laughs) and i'm not i'm not unbiased though so that's fair that's fair well let's get into some of those storylines um I guess since we are in Paris, let's start with some of the French names that have kind of made a splash in the tournament in the yeah. form of French wild cards. The, the biggest splash, I don't know if you would agree with me, was Diane Perry taking out the number two seed in Barbara Krajcikova, uh the second day of play. I believe that was Monday, right? I think so, yeah. And I personally... Many may not believe this, but I have had like one eye open on Diane Perry. I used to say Paris, 
until like they've announced her name officially in Paris and it's Perry. But I mean, am I wrong for thinking it's Perry? It's definitely <laughs> more fun to say that way. Yes, Diane Paris from Paris. Yeah. It sounds yeah. it rolls off the tongue better. Yeah. <laughs> but I've, I, I think she had some really cool results at the end of the year on some ITF clay tournaments. And something about a woman that has a one-handed backhand does make me raise my eyebrow. Right. And when I was doing my fantasy draw, I saw, obviously, that Krychikova was, was slated to play her first round. I thought Krychikova would be able to work her way through that match and then ultimately lose second or third round just because she hasn't played since February. So that match shocked me, but also didn't just based off of the form or the lack of form Krychikova had coming in. Where did you, where did you, where did you gauge your surprise? Right. I thought I I was actually a little surprised. I didn't think Krychikova was going far. I had her losing to Osorio in the second round. Same. Um, (laughs) And I I thought like if there's 128 women in the draw, then like 126 of them would be Krychikova pretty easily. But they're like, okay, you got a French wild card. Like I've never heard of Diane Perry before. You might actually be able to win this match. Um, <laughs> I think she won the first set, didn't she? And then uh, she got killed in the first set, actually. Okay. Yeah, I think it was six one, and then I think she got she kind of found her footing, and the yeah. French crowd was like, oh, this is one of our this is one of our home home team favorites. Let's right. ride behind her, and I. It, it might just be me, but she has a really, really nice ponytail. So her, hash, her hashtag now is Perry's ponytail. So I enjoy that. It's like slicked back. It's braided. It's like she's, she's aesthetically pleasing to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the one handed backhand, like you said, doesn't hurt with the whole aesthetics of it. It's sort of got like a French feel to it, like the one handed backhand. Um, but I don't know. Do you think we ever hear from diane perry again after this week i don't think that the 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 brand of tennis that she has is aesthetically pleasing do i think it's going to allow her to work her way up into like the top 30 and eventually be seated in grand slams i feel like that's super questionable Mm -hmm. um and i'm leaning towards no but i feel like she'll always be a good watch and like a good uh, um i don't want to play her if she's coming in hot especially at her, like, in her home country. And, you know, there's a bunch of tennis tournaments in Paris, so I wouldn't want to see her uh, with that, with the flair of her game and the the energy that Paris, the Parisian fans usually give to their their own. I wouldn't want to see her, but I'm, I'm not, I didn't leave I mean, she she did win that first match. She won her second and ultimately went out to Sloane Stevens in the yep. third round. Yep. Yeah, um, which is is just respectable. I believe that's the furthest she's sure. ever went in a Grand Slam period. So something to build on. But I'm not left thinking that oh, Diane Perry is going to be the next big thing. But she's still super young, so you you never know. Yeah. And that energy the French crowd brings that you were talking about is one of the reasons why I like the first week so much, uh, especially with those French wild cards, the French qualifiers that you get in there. I know I just said that like, oh, French wild card. Awesome. Like what a great first round draw for someone. But it might actually be miserable to play a French wild card in Paris at Roland Garros like that because they are just going to be brutal to be playing against because it's like you're playing Perry and Leola Jean-Jean and Hugo Gaston like plus like 5,000 Parisians. At you said time. miserable. You said miserable. On a scale of 1 to 10, how miserable do you think Carolina Pliskova was when she lost to, uh, I don't know her first name, Leola? Leola Jean-Jean? Yeah, I think you're right. Leola Jean-Jean? I, I, I should have practiced that one. You know, honestly, that. honestly, when I first saw her name, I thought of Denim. Because it's, it's, it's Jean Jean when you spell it. And like in my, in, in my fantasy group message that we talk about and we do daily picks, <laughs> everybody used an emoji of denim jeans <laughs> to describe her. And I personally went a bit further and called her bootcut Jean Jean because I thought that was cute. <laughs> but she did have the win of her life. I mean, she's ranked outside of the top 200 and knocked out a top 10 seed in Carolina Pliskova. I wasn't surprised, though. I mean, the, the package that knocked out Pliskova was a surprise. With Pliskova losing early at this point in her career in this specific season, not really a surprise. Pliskova, I decided a year or two ago, I just have, like, I just don't think she's ever going to want to slam, and I'm not worried about it anymore. There's a debate um, about who's the world's worst um, world number one on the women's side. I feel like she's a healthy 
pick for number one, unfortunately. I mean, that's not a that's not a label anybody would want, but right. given her career, I, I think she doesn't have the least amount of weeks at number one, but she has no. the she has, in my opinion, it's debatable, like I said, she has the weakest resume for a world number one. Yes, she's been to two major finals. And honestly, she should have she could have won. Was the second one? The US the, Open and- the first one was the US Open where she lost to Kerber and she had yeah. chances in that one. Yeah. And the second one was last year's Wimbledon to Barty where she had chances. She made the Wimbledon final last year? She did. I doubt about that. See, I don't know I don't know if that speaks to how boring That's why she's still in the top ten. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if that speaks to how boring Barty is or how boring Pliskova is because the fact that you don't remember the Wimbledon final. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and then this year we're not going to have points with it. So, and one of those players is now retired. So, shout out to Barty for uh, pressing the eject button during tennis's really weird times these years. I, I, yeah. I guess, but Krejci- uh, I, I was going to call her Krychikova. Pliskova was Krychikova's also uh, Czech, but Pliskova just she doesn't have a. It's almost like people call her a robot, right? It's almost like she lacks batteries to actually function like a normal robot. And her losing just doesn't send shockwaves to anybody. It's kind of just like one of those things, you know? She will like randomly be in the finals of a big tournament every now and like she's made the Rome final or she made the Rome final like two years in a row. Mm-hmm. Like last year she got double bagels and I think she was in it the year before that as well. And I just have no memory of her ever doing well at tournaments. She just doesn't land in my brain. <sighs> but yet and still she has two wins over yeah. Serena Williams at Grand Slams. Oh, deep sigh, deep sigh, <laughs> whatever. Let's go on to something more fun. Another French wild card, Hugo Gaston. He, uh, I, I think we were talking earlier about uh, Diane Perry. He really leans into the fact that he's playing yeah. in Paris and he gets that, ener- that energy from the Parisian crowd. I didn't watch too many of his matches, but that still doesn't mean that I, I like, I, even though I didn't watch him, I have a very good sense of how they went. And especially the one with Alex Dimonor. Did you watch that one? I didn't see that one, no. But that was one of the few that went to a fifth set tiebreak. And that's new this year. That's yeah. the fifth set tiebreak is new yeah. starting starting this year, and it's it's a trial period up until yeah. the French Open next year, where if they get to the six all on the fifth, they do a ten set tiebreak, and Hugo Gaston beat Alex Dimonor, who was seated like top twenty or something like that, or around. Yeah. around around ish but gaston a lefty i, I, I love left handers because i'm one myself he plays tennis very again aesthetically pleasing he doesn't just do like the typical just grinding of of points from the from the back of the baseline he brings you in drop shots galore and he's a short diminutive package so you kind of can't help <laughs> but root for him he's like five foot nothing so you can't help but root for him he is. He's a great little underdog character to have in these French rounds. I did watch some of his match against uh, Rune yesterday. Oh, he got beat up pretty that. bad. He, got he did. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of like his ceiling is getting to the third round of a slam. But when you're talking about the French crowds, there was one moment where the crowds were like cheering on Gaston and like trying to get behind him. And the umpire comes over the mic and is trying to calm everyone down. So you just hear saying like, s'il vous plaît, s'il vous plaît. And then after <laughs> the umpire like tries to get him down he immediately just like raises his arms and tries <laughs> to get them up again like he wanted them as loud as possible and then like that spoiled little twerp room was like giving looks at the umpire and like <laughs> he was not happy i don't know I, I feel like it'd be super fun it's it's fun to watch him on television but i feel like it'd be it'd be even more fun to watch him in person oh yeah just hard not to root for is one of one of my favorite matches of all time is uh, the Korea Gaudio final <laughs> at the French Open, like 2003, 2004, which people will say is like, God, what a terrible match that is to I, watch. I heard, I, remember... I heard it mentioned today, or not today, I heard it mentioned in commentary as like the the number two most stressed men's final, number one being Zver versus team at the U.S. Open. Oh, God, that was hard to watch. Uh, (laughs) But no, I just remember, like, the crowd, like, doing the wave around and Gaudio doing the wave with them and just thinking, like, God, that would have been so much fun to be in the crowd there for that. It it would be like like the Ivanisevic, uh, 
Oh, crap, damn it. Who'd he beat in the Wimbledon final? That Rafter, one. I think. Is that Rafter? I think. I think it was Rafter. No, like one of those sort of crowds where just like everyone is into it and going crazy. That would be so much fun to be a part oh, of. Oh, you know your tennis. That's a, that's a major that's a major pull back into the archives, even this right? year after. I like when people come on to the, yeah. They played it on a Monday, so they let everyone in. I they think they call it the, pe- the People's Final or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I, I personally enjoy when I have conversations with, with, with tennis fans because sometimes – like I was on a tennis space other other day. It was being hosted by somebody from the tennis channel and Pam Shriver. And sometimes I get a feeling that people that work their way into like working for tennis, they kind of the joy of just being a fan isn't there. Yeah. And when I when I talk to people and they come on the podcast and they like bring up stuff that I feel like only I would know. I feel like I'm, I feel like we're here. Like, I feel like I don't, I don't feel like the biggest or the world's biggest tennis nerd for yeah. knowing who, who won the Wimbledon final in 1997, you know? So. No. And I, even I, like when I listen to your clubhouses and spaces, I feel like the dumb one in the room. So I just stay quiet because those people in those clubhouses and spaces, they know their tennis shit. Shout out to tune into tennis on clubhouse. If you're, if you're not, if you're not a fan or, or downloaded the clubhouse app, and you're interested in some interesting tennis banter, uh, definitely download the app and come on into the clubhouse because <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Um, okay, let's segue into something a little bit different. So the WTA is obviously a big talking point. Every t- every single tournament, I mean, it's the women's version of, uh, of professional tennis. And I feel like there's a layer of... Um, how do I describe this? Misogyny. Misogyny is a great word. I, was, I wasn't looking for something as harsh. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a layer of like, <clears throat> let's go with misogyny. There's, there's a layer of, oh, there's nothing that the women can do that can compare to the ATP. And um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but they also don't do themselves any favors <laughs> when the top 10 struggle to get to the second week of, the major, of a major like they did this year. So how do you, where do you gauge like where this WTA top 10 is right now? I feel like the women are in such a lose-lose situation here. Cause like, yeah, a lot of the top 10, almost all the top 10 went out in the first week. We lost Halep, Kvitova, Pliskova, Kruchikova, Zachary all early on. Um, But instead I feel like we kind of, upgraded with who we got in the second week is we got like the younger players we got Sviatek or Sviatek who we all expected to be there we've got Coco Goff we had Jill Teichman in uh, the second half um uh, I'm missing someone who is one of oh Layla Fernandez Fernandez yeah uh, I was gonna say yeah yeah and I just feel like if that group of younger women like Sviatek Fernandez Goff Teichman had all lost in the second or third or first round then the storyline would be, why aren't these younger players stepping up to the plate at big events? Uh, so it's either going to be the top 10 players, women's tennis is unpredictable, they all lost early, then we get these randos at the end, um, without even looking at like who those players actually are. They're just looking next to the numbers by their names. And I feel like this is a more interesting group of players that we've got here at the end. Like I don't, I don't know who's sitting around like hoping for like the semifinals with Pliskova and <laughs> Muguruza, like that's not and, that's not fun to me personally. But no. I, I, I guess it it does a major injustice to like the fandom of tennis is if all you care about is if the seeds hold. Right. Like in in sports in general, part of the reason people sit their behinds in seats is to see people upset people and or or look i mean there's a percentage of people who love domination and stuff like that too right. but upsets and giant killing and david beating goliath is a huge intangible of why people watch sports and you can't just trounce that all the way to the trash just yeah. because the number two three four and five seed didn't get to the quarterfinals yes that may have played out nicely for like TV metrics and like the strength of the tour, but they had to lace up their tennis shoes and go out there and play. And that's to me, part of what's fun about watching tennis. They have to go out there and swing the racket. So it's, it's, it's implausible for me to think that even, even when like the big three are gone, it's just because we're so used to seeing three or four people in the semifinals. And that's been 
amazing for men's tennis. It's almost like people want to see that in the women's tour, which yeah. it's it's possible because I mean, there's been eras with Steffi Graf, Monica Sellis, unfortunately Navratilova, and you know the, the Williams sisters. Sorry, that was Navratilova shade. She's not on my she's not on my uh, my good list anymore. <laughs> but there's been eras where there's been really really like strong leaders at the top, but to use this word I use a lot, depth, they were playing people who didn't even make them break a sweat in the first three rounds. Right. Whereas like the WTA now, the first three rounds, yes, there are instances where people can just like, like Iga Swiatek can just loot, can win six, two, six love, but that's because their level is super high. Yeah. The yeah. level of the, the level of the, the girls that are ranked 100 to 80 are not the same. Where when when Steffi Graf and Serena was in her prime in 2002, it's just not. So I, I feel like fans aren't taking that into consideration when they talk about oh my god the WTA top ten is so weak. They're playing they're playing girls who are playing out of their minds the first week of the of the Grand Slam. So it's not you know it's not it's not fair. No, and people are making it seem like literally any woman in the top 200 can just like walk in and win a tournament. And I've like looked into this before, like the winners of the WTA 1000s or the premier fives or the premier mandatories for like the last five years ago, it's not a big three, but like all those big titles in the WTA, like the Madrid's, the Rome's, the Canadian open Cincinnati, Shanghai, like they've all been won by women sort of like in this like elite group of six or seven or eight players. Like mm -hmm. it was routinely like Barty and Sabalenka and Pliskova and Sviatek nowadays um, and Halep a few years ago. It wasn't just like we had Georgie winning what? Canada yeah, that's a one-off. Yeah, she won Montreal yeah. last year. Like that's, you know. Once every couple of years you get like <laughs> Camilla winning something or like an Ostapenko showing up. Mm -hmm. But it's not, okay, maybe Radicamu too. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's not just like like the Heather Watsons and Clara Burrells of the world are exactly the main titles. It's always like within like a top group of women. I agree. I agree. And you mentioned you mentioned Iga Swiatek. I'm I'm popping over to I'm popping over to my live stream right now and it looks like she's she's weathering the storm of Kenwin Jing. She lost the first set, the first set of the tournament in a tie break. And she was up 5-2 in the tie break. So I mean, was, that was that was set points before that. Yeah, that was an indication that she's she's uh, dealing with the pressure. But she won the second set, uh, six love, and she's now up three one in the third set. And there were there were rumblings that Ken Win Jing could come out there and kind of kind of hit hit at her yeah. and make her feel uncomfortable. Which she's 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 uh, built she's she's held up to that billing. But um, I'm interested to kind of see what you think if. Do you think it'll be good for women's tennis if Swiatek, who obviously came into the tournament as the overwhelming favorite on a now 30-something match win streak, do you think it'll be good if she's the overwhelming favorite and at the end of the tournament she's lifting the trophy? And if she doesn't lift the trophy, who do we think can beat her that remains left in the tournament? Part of me just feels really bad for Iga because there's just, I almost wanted her to like lose at a tournament before coming into the French Open because I thought that would have taken some of the pressure off. Agreed. Even watching that first set against Chen Wen Zhang, uh, she just looked so antsy and like upset by stuff. And it looked like something, this may be reading into it way too much, but she just like sort of wanted to be done with the winning streak. Like it's got to be so much pressure and so exhausting to like have that in the back of your head constantly. And I don't know how much attention she pays to like press and stuff, but people are basically setting her up for failure. Like if she doesn't win this slam, then I feel like the past 30 matches that she's won are just sort of erased and like she doesn't get credit for that unless she wins this slam title here. Um, I think she can win it and I hope she does, uh, but I would just feel really bad for her if she gets upset at some point or just like runs out of gas and then all it's going to be is like, wow, another failure for women's tennis. That's such a, that's such a good point you bring up because tennis is, it, it, it suffers from the what have you done for me lately um, yeah. aspect a little bit too much because if, if she does lose, like say she goes on to lose to, to Jing in this match, 
that doesn't mean that she's a, a failure because she's done something that no one else has done since the 2000s, which mm-hmm. is string up upwards of 30 <laughs> matches together in a row and won five titles in a row. And she's done it under really uh, under like the situation that came about as to how she got to world number one. I don't know like who, who amongst her peers would have just sat in that role and just ran with it. Cause for me, like I'm not even like we're, us two were no nowhere near professionals but imagine somebody coming up to you and say hey like you have been assistant manager for a week right but the manager just um this is going to sound morbid but the manager just jumped off a cliff so now it's up to you (laughs) who would just walk into that role and just come like just become manager of the year all of a sudden like Swiatek has done to make it to make it like you know match to whatever people do in their nine to fives. But that's essentially what she was given. She was assistant manager. She played Indian Wells final for a shot at number two. The next week, the world number one retires. And here she is with that weight of carrying the WTA tour and becoming the face of it. And she's done that magnificently. So, I mean, I struggled a little bit with calling her dominant when she won Indian Wells in Miami, because for me, I guess because I'm a fan of the Williams sisters and Sharapova and and people who who in my mind have really been dominant over mm-hmm. the course of several seasons. Winning two tournaments doesn't right. necessarily automatically give dominant, yeah. but winning five in a row does right. help your case. It does, it does help your case. <laughs> when Barty retired, like the power vacuum that was left behind, like the potential for that to just be like totally chaotic mm-hmm. was huge. Like we could have easily end up with like. Iga at number one for a couple of weeks and then Badosa at number one for a couple of mm-hmm. weeks and then Zachary at number one for a couple of weeks. Like it could have been all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think people probably would have predicted that scenario over I did. Iga just coming in <laughs> and like running the show and like establishing a new number one and like a dominant number one at the top. That seems almost like the less likely scenario. I personally thought it was going to be a replay of 2008 when Justine Inner retired at before yeah. the French Open. And that's what we got. We got Sharapova at world number one immediately, and Ivanovic, and later on that season, we got Yankovic. And I think Serena ended the season with, with, with world, world number one. So it was just a toss-up as soon yeah. as somebody just entered and kind of created that vacuum. But Iga Swiatek, as, as I, as I uh, touch into the match again, oh, of course, it's on commercial, so I don't know what the score is, but she's doing well. I mean, she made it to the, she made it to the second week of the, of the French Open, yeah. and her first three rounds she didn't drop a set she was tested but didn't drop a set so yeah i think there is there's there's evidence that she is going to be the type of player that's going to be around for a while and for that i'm appreciative because um like you said it could have it, it could have been a complete chaotic mess as soon as Barty was just like oh i'm done i'm retired i'm, I'm over and- it he is like the only one sort of immune from that chaotic mess right now. Cause I think like if Pagula wins the title, she'll be number two in the world. And I think she's outside the top 10 right now. I think if Pagula, I think so. I think the only thing stopping Annette Contavit from being world number two right. is Pagula winning the right. tournament. But I, I do believe Pagula is going to make her, her top 10 debut once yeah. the rankings come out on Monday, which for that, I'm thankful. I really am. Cause she's been putting, she's been putting together a great season over the past couple of seasons. She's been consistent. Like I think since the restart of the tour, um, post post the pandemic break, she's made at least the quarters of every one thousand event, or something, something, some crazy consistent stat like that. And a player like that, to me, even though she doesn't, when you watch her, a lot of people won't just be left with an impression that, oh yeah, she's a top ten player with that kind of talent. But when you put together the kind of consistency that she has, you know, uh, uh, it's it's hard not to see her in in the top ten with what she's been able to do for sure. Yeah. Okay, so one of the things that we mentioned early on in our conversation, we kind of just swiftly talked about it, but it is a major thing. This is the first French Open with no extended final sets, meaning there's not going to be a match that goes 12, 14, and six hours into the fifth set with no no earthly idea of when it's going to stop. Uh, All four Grand Slams came together and said, in order for this thing to run as efficiently as smoothly as possible let's give a trial period for um no extended final sets and once it gets to six all we're going to play a 10 set tiebreaker by your account do you miss that or do you not even notice it (laughs) i i will say that i 
didn't notice it for the first week, but I do kind of miss it a little bit. Um, I, I went through the whole, I went through the men's draw and the women's draw and made a list of all the matches that used uh, fifth set tiebreak. There mm-hmm. were only five of them the entire thus far. Um, and probably like a couple of them, I think it would have been nice for them to have played it out. And then uh, some of them were like, no, we could have cut it off here. <laughs> do, you, do you think off the top of your head, any of the ones that use the deciding set tiebreak? The Hugo Gaston and Diminor match could have definitely, well, I'm glad they used that extended or the final set tiebreak because, I mean, to me in general, every match needs a harsh ending because I feel like that's one of the things that kills tennis from being uh, more watchable is the fact that there could be a two-hour window but the match goes for five, especially during Grand Slams and men's best of five sets. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't want to be that millennial that says, oh my God, nobody has the, the, uh, the brain power or the, what's, what's the word? The, oh, damn, I, I'm, I'm. Attention span? The, yeah, the attention span. It was, that was the COVID fog. Um, <laughs> no one has the attention span to sit there for five hours. And I kind of agree. And part of me sees like the historical part of this is how it's always been done. But a lot of other sports have, have, have moved the chains to meet where we are in society now. So I, I personally like what they've done and I haven't, I, I, I probably will never catch myself saying, Oh damn, I wish they would have played until a 12, 14 in the fifth set. Right. That's just, that's, I don't, it's brutal to watch and then brutal for the player to play that extended amount even with the day off to come back and get at a level that's going to give them a fighting chance to win the next match, you know? Yeah. Diminar Gaston, I feel like would have been one of those matches that went to like 15, 13 and the crowd would have loved it there at the same time. Whereas like Karatsev Karabelli in the first round, I, I don't need to see that one. Play out. <laughs> that like, was the first, that, that was the first official French open match that utilized the, uh, 10-point tiebreaker. Yeah, and then there were three on the women's side. Uh, Paolini, Begu, like, cut that one off. I don't need to see that. Uh, Azarenka, Teichman, I think would have been an interesting one to see them play out into an extended set. I, took, I think I took a nap. That was a COVID. <laughs> I, I, saw good, I saw good points of it, but when I woke up and everybody was like, oh my God, it went on for three hours. I was like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> and then the one yesterday or was Keys Rabakina went to a decider as well. And I feel like that one, yeah, let's do a tie break for that one. Because so it was going to be a serve bot. It was going to be a serve bot hold thing. So Right. This is going to be the same thing over and over again. Do I want to go into Madison Keys? Because she played today and lost and it kind of upset me. I don't, I don't want to do it. She, she's like having a sneaky good year though. She was like the best player in the world in Australia and made the semifinals. Then I don't, I couldn't tell you a single thing she did since Australia. It's sneaky good, but also not sneaky good enough. Like right. when I watch her play, sometimes I literally am like, how are you not a consistent top five threat? And I mean, it's it's tough to say in this era that she should always be in the business end of a Grand Slam. But the kind of tennis she plays when she's at full gear, who has an answer to it? Like there's she, not yeah. there's not that many people that can hang with her. But then she does herself such a great disservice by not having a middle ground with that high top level. It's either like really, really great or like the ball comes nowhere near to being playable, like, or yeah. being in play. Yeah. And I feel like she was one of those players people talked about for, I was like, it's just a matter of time before she wins a slam. And I worry now she's in that like Pliskova category. Like, no, she's not getting one. Like, don't hold your breath. She's a little, um, she missed her window. Yeah, I think she's she's missing her window and she's not utilizing all the things that... You know how like some players like uh, David Ferrer, one of the common phrases was they left no, stern, no stone unturned? Yeah. I feel like there's a couple stones that she, <laughs> she hasn't turned <laughs> over in her career just to like get the most out of the immense talent. But maybe we're looking too far into it or maybe so, right. sometimes, sometimes we see more than we, we want to see in a player or that can, they can actually provide. So maybe it's one of those things, but one player um, that's on our list to talk about who's doing more than we thought they would. Are you going to say Sloan Stevens? 
I was actually going to say, say more Daniel Medvedev. Okay, because I was sure you more surprised to see him make it through the first week, Sloane Stevens or Medvedev? Sloane Stevens, for sure. Just, yeah. just because she had just lost to somebody in the, in the 300s in Strasbourg, yeah. and I did not see her coming out of her first round match with the qualifier who had beat up everybody in qualifying. So I was just, I thought it was just a matter of time that she would, like that qualifier would beat up Sloan too. <laughs> when I made my bracket predictions pre-tournament, I saw Sloan Stevens was playing a qualifier. I didn't know who was going to be yet. They hadn't placed him. I put her down as losing in the first round to a yeah. qualifier, not even I mean, a, a, a tennis fan that follows things primarily week to week, I wouldn't blame them for thinking that. But I, I do think, you know, she even said as much. There's something, and, and also Medvedev did too, there's something different about the Parisian clay. And I mm-hmm. feel like every player, she said every player kind of has that court or that tournament that brings out the best tennis in them. And I think for, for Sloan, it's definitely the French Open courts. Yeah. And she specifically mentioned court Suzanne Long Long because that's the slowest of all the courts at the yeah. French Open. It's weird that an American woman would love a slow court. But, I mean, she's flown, and she, uh, for the most of her career, I think she's just kind of walked to the beat of her own drum, kind of like yeah. Medvedev. <laughs> Medvedev said right. the same thing. There's something different. Because he, he only played one clay tournament leading up because he had a hernia surgery, and he played it in Geneva. He lost Gasquet, right? He lost to Gasquet, which is like a semi-respectable loss. Gasquet is like 56 and has less hair than Nadal at this point. <laughs> 56 in the rankings or 56 in age? Age. <laughs> I can't believe like Sanga and Simona retiring and Gasquet is still out there playing. Yeah, they should all, they all should have kind of retired together. Right. If me. But I mean, Medvedev is one of those players that's under the radar and still in this tournament. Did you expect him to be in the tournament still? I completely forgot he was in this tournament because when people talk about this tournament, they talk about like Nadal, Djokovic, Alcaraz at the top. And then if you're uh, Misha Zverev, you talk about Sasha being in there as well. Uh, but the bottom was just like everyone, the only name that I knew in the bottom half of the draw was Sissipas. And uh, like I just completely wrote off Medvedev. I had him losing to Ketsmanovic in the third round. Um, I couldn't believe you. And he won that easily. He's just he, like... He barely broke a... I mean, well, he kind of sweats, but he didn't... He wasn't pushed by Ketsmanovic and uh, agreed. I thought that would be the match where he would be like the, the the road would come to an end and Ketsmanovic, who's had a great year, he hasn't lifted a title, but compared to his other seasons, Ketsmanovic has played tremendous this season. And I thought he would definitely push Medvedev to the point where Medvedev would be like, you know what? I actually do hate the surface. I'm going right. to go home and practice more on the grass but he's still in the tournament he's still he's still there so you know i think he's just like continuing to troll us all with this <laughs> just like oh yeah i'm playing this and like now that city isn't in the tournament anymore at this point he lost a rune a couple hours ago mm-hmm. like Medvedev, if we see him playing in the finals like it's a possibility and not something i would have even considered a week ago i don't even <sighs> He's such a he's I mean, he's a Grand Slam champion, but he's also kind of enigma. I, I, I sometimes I watch him and I'm like, what is it that makes him so hard to to beat? He's, he's ridiculous to watch. He's, he's, yeah, it's it's fun but also confusing. I don't know how else to put that. <laughs> like, yeah. I, root, I rooted for him very very heavily to beat Djokovic just because if you listen to this podcast enough, you know Djokovic is nowhere near my fave. But in other matches, I'm kind of like, what is it that Medvedev has done for the past couple of seasons that makes makes him so difficult? He gets his racket on almost everything because of his length and his speed. Yeah. But it hasn't translated to major clay court success. And I think I was watching a clip of one of his uh, press conferences or post-match press conferences. Mm-hmm. He, even he has tempered expectations for what he can accomplish on the clay. And he's dialed it back to like wanting to do well at a 500 or win a Masters 1000. So I feel like every win for him, especially at this tournament this year, is kind of like, oh, wait, I'm still in this tournament. Yeah. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I feel like he makes us all think that He's just happy to get some matches in under his belt, grab a handful of points to get him back to number one faster. Mm-hmm. And then he's secretly like, he's like, oh no, I'm actually here to win this, but not telling any of us. Imagine if he does. Like, imagine if he actually wins the whole thing. <laughs> he just like sits out the whole clay season and then like beats Alcaraz in the finals or something. That would be something. 
be so, like that'd be something if I was if I was him, I'd tell my my grandchildren about that on my rocking chair. Like not only did I beat Djokovic in the U.S. Open final when he was going for winning all four in a calendar year, I also played one clay court match the season in the season I won Roland Garros. Right. Uh, how about them apples? <laughs> he he would do it just for like the hilarity of yep. it. And, yeah. um, and he could actually flop on the ground and not injure his elbow. It would be a great player. <laughs> the clay is a little softer. Is it a little softer? Yeah, I think. I think. Yeah. He'd, be, he'd be dirty, but, you know, the, the celebration would kind of do more than what it did at the U.S. Open because that celebration at the U.S. Open was kind of like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, as someone who doesn't play video games, I did not understand it, but I was there for it. Yeah. Same, same boat. I was like, I have no idea what this reference is, but okay, you won. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> That's the important of, part. Speaking of celebration, we had a celebration of a really impactful and um, entertaining career in Joe Wilfred's saga. On a scale of one to 10, I feel like I've, I've asked you this, this similar question earlier, but on a scale of one to 10, how uh, moving was the retirement ceremony for Joe Wilfred Sandra? All right, I'll, I'll preface this by saying that like almost everything makes me tear up in my life. So it's like a very low bar. Like my <laughs> students will tell you this. We've had many awkward classes where it's like talking about a book and I'm tearing up at the front class. Uh, but no, like watching everyone come out seeing him like with his dad like anytime like a parent's involved it gets me even just like reading Juan Martin Del Potro's tweet to him like oh man we just went through this with Juan Martin and it was just like it was the most generic tweet it was just like congrats on a great career buddy like that got to me a little bit um no he just seems like such a nice guy like a fun guy to have around like I loved his like iconic jumping spinning double thumbs up celebration that he would do after matches i had forgotten about that and then when i saw footage i was like oh shit i'm gonna miss that he's like he's he's iconic not like obviously it's hard to be as iconic as um as one of the big three in the past Mm -hmm. 15 years but outside of the big three he's one of the most iconic and celebrated tennis players obviously in france but i think he's done a really good job of being celebrated around the world because he's he's played on the biggest stages and made the semifinals of pretty much every i I think he's made the semis of every grand slam i think if not semis at least quarters yeah at least quarters of every grand slam maybe the u.s open might be the one he hasn't gotten to the semifinal of but I, i actually remember the first time i laid decent eyes on him ironically was the u.s open i believe he was playing Djokovic in the 2007 U.S. Open. I might, I probably have to fact check that. But it was something about his headband. It was something about the fact that he looked like Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Like, he just had a very, I mean, Muhammad Ali in, in boxing. He had a really good fighting spirit. And the fact that he was like, I don't, I mean, not to like put weight on him, but he looked like he was a solid 200 pounds out there playing right. tennis. <laughs> that's not that's not normal like that's no that's my body type <laughs> it was it was entertaining to look to look at like what should have been or could have been not should have been could have been a linebacker or a running back be out there running down balls and he was competitive with the best i mean his record i mean uh, uh, going back to the insanity of the big three his record is not great against them but he does have huge wins against them yeah. when it matters most and when they were all number one so Hats off to Joe Wilfried Sanga for a hell of a career and a very entertaining last match of his career. Because yeah. that match, it went, it, it almost went five sets. Um, it, Joe Wilfred's shoulder kind of went out on him at, at the end. But the the reception he got, the impact of what he's done in tennis, um, that'll be one of the retirement ceremonies. I didn't tear up because um, – it's weird that I'm a cancer and we're supposed to be super emotional. I didn't, I didn't cry. I was, I was reflective more so than crying. I was like, wow, I've really watched him for a long time and he's yeah. one of my favorites and he, he'll definitely be missed for sure. And that'll be one of the retirement ceremonies that I, that I kind of always remember for sure. Yeah. I remember the first time seeing Sangre, the first time he sort of landed on my radar was when he made the finals of the Australian open uh, and lost a fetter, but there was sort of like a string of, Federer titles in the 2000s where he beat Sanga, he beat Baghdadis, he beat Fernando Gonzalez in the finals. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Sanga 
like was one of the few that sort of followed up on it. Like I think Baghdad has probably had, I think he made the semis of Wimbledon one time after that. Uh, Gonzalez, uh, I think he had a good Olympics one year with Nicholas Massu. He cheated, um, but it's okay. <laughs> when you have James Blake on the podcast, you can ask him. <laughs> um, but no, like Sanga stuck around and he was sort of like always in that category of like Ferrer, Sanga, Berdick, who were always like right underneath the big three and mm-hmm. could like routinely make quarters and semifinals of slams and like finals of masters tournaments and every once in a while sneak in a win over the big three or the big four. Um, so yeah, he was just a, a consistent guy to have around. Consistent and easy to watch. Yeah. Easy on the eyes. All of, all of those things. Just a, a really, he'll be missed for sure. And I hope, I hope there's um, an energy, not necessarily a player, but I hope there's an energy that comes along in the next couple of years that makes me mm-hmm. feel how I felt when I watched him play at, at full flight. But um, mentioning or talking about the big three, I guess we should mention that good old Novak Rafa match that is happening for the 59th time, I believe. I don't even care <laughs> how many times they play. Like I, like, I get that this is like what all the commentators and like the tournament directors and the TV stations want is Djokovic and Nadal but at this point like we've seen it so many times like I I don't feel like it's going to be anything new at this point we've gotten to the point now where like the debate for this first week of the French Open has been like "Ooh, are they going to play that quarterfinal match during the day or during the night I was like is this really what we're talking about right now pretty sure it got picked up to be a night match which doesn't which doesn't bode well for Raphael's chances, especially if they close the roof because of intermittent weather. Um, he doesn't play well when a roof is when a roof is near him. And I, with the 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 foot injury or like the foot concerns, I should say that he brought into the tournament. I'm not looking. I know I don't expect that match to go full five sets. Right. I, I don't. I don't want Djokovic to win but I expect Djokovic to win just Same. just because of the the form Djokovic brought into the tournament how he's played hasn't come close to dropping a set and then Rafael Nadal fresh off the heels of a five set would you say it was a five set classic with Felix or I guess a good I five wouldn't. set match. no it was a, it was five sets yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a classic. I mean, that was one of the, I, I guess because I'm a Felix, I'm a, I'm, I really believe in the Felix hype. I really do. And that was one of the first men's match. Maybe, I don't, I can't remember the last time I watched a men's five set match from beginning to end, yeah. but I did watch that one on my couch. I mean, I guess I have COVID to blame, but <laughs> it was, I, mean, I, it was for, I think this was the first year Felix actually won matches at yes. Roland Garros, which I didn't realize until golf claps. Right? <laughs> um, but I mean, he's been performing well at the slams. He had that very good match against Medvedev in the Australian open. And then I think he was only like the, third person to push Nadal to five sets mm-hmm. at the French after, oh, it was Djokovic? Djokovic and Isner. Um, and Isner. Isner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I feel like this is a good result for Felix. And watching him play that, like, if Felix didn't win the point in the first three or four shots, then you just sort of knew that Nadal was going to win the point. But, like, when he could strike early, then he was doing well, which makes me think when he gets on the grass that he could have some pretty good results. Yeah, his results on grass have been great, especially in comparison to the clay. He's been right. to a couple of finals on grass and the yeah. quarterfinals Wimbledon. So I'm, I'm just interested to see what the career arc of Felix is going to look like because he's just easy to watch for a whole bunch of reasons for me. Just just easy to watch. Kind of, I, I do, just to kind of put a button in this, I do worry though, because of that great match he played or the great match he played against Medvedev, he's he's building up some kind of scar tissue. Like he's getting so close to the big guys or the guys that are ranked above him, but he's not actually getting the win. So I'm like, "Mm, I don't want you to start thinking that that's where you're like, that's where your level is. You can actually beat them. You're hanging with them, you know? Miles, Felix lost 34 finals in a row. And if you think that's what's going to build up the scar tissue, and then like, it's already there. Uh, You have a solid point. Making some progress and like eliminating some of that. Like he 
flops through the sunshine double. So it was good for him to get some momentum in this French Open, I think. Very fair. Very fair. Um, well, let's let's talk about more momentum. Um, we talked briefly about Fernandez and Layla Fernandez from Canada. She's building up some good momentum. I had to do a quick correction on uh, the Twitter space I was in with Pam Shriver and one of the Tennis Channel hosts because they were just like, oh, well, uh, Fernandez, since that amazing U.S. Open run where she lost to Ryder Kanu in the finals and beat all those players, she hasn't really done anything. I don't think she's even made a semifinal of anything. And I was like, well... <laughs> she defended her title somewhere boom she? boom yeah. she defended her title in monterey which is something a lot of the girls can't say they've ever done so i mean yeah. i kind of had to put my fernandez uh cape on and and uh and battle for her in that moment respectfully yeah. of course but now i think she had to fight tooth and nail against asoria to get that title <laughs> she did with yeah. lights flickering and everything but oh, yeah. <laughs> i mean Going back to the run she had at the U.S. Open, do you think that – who do you think is going to have the better Grand Slam career? And do you think we'll always be able to kind of compare those two in Fernandez and Raducanu? Because Raducanu, she kind of bowed out – well, not kind of. She bowed out early. She did play a really good first-round match against a player I'd never seen play in Linda Noskova. Um, she bat- Ooh, I was yeah, yeah, yeah. I was very impressed with how she battled through that match because she was playing somebody younger than her, which doesn't happen because she's 19 herself. But I mean, you said yourself like the 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 intermixing of Raducanu and Fernandez. Yeah. Do we ever see that ne- like stop happening, or is it going to take one of them to like actually? Well, Raducanu's already won a slam, but is it going to take them to meet again for people to start looking at them as two individual? Um, entities instead of just like, oh, that 19-year-old or teenage combo that took over the U.S. Open? I think maybe like a year from now, we could have Fernandez like doing well in a tournament and then not immediately following up with like what Raducanu's results in there was. Because I feel like people are routinely throwing Raducanu under the bus every time Layla does well someplace, then the immediate reaction is to compare Raducanu's results there. Um, But I think maybe after this next U.S. Open, um, because I I, I guess I didn't see Raducanu winning the title last year, but I just can't see her defending that title either at this rate. Who knows? uh, Weirder (laughs) things have happened. Well, that's not true. I think that was the weirdest thing that happened. (laughs) Qualifier, Lena Slam. Um, But I think maybe like once we go through another U.S. Open, um, and the, the Fernandez Raducanu final gets a little bit farther in the distance, and it's not the most recent U.S. Open final that mm-hmm. people will start to separate the two of them because I would hate for them to be like linked for years because of yeah. that one tournament. And they play completely different. I, like, yeah. not to say that Raducanu isn't feisty, but on the feisty meter, Fernandez definitely has her beat, and she's used that feistiness to still be in this tournament and reach her first French Open quarterfinal. She's beaten. Benchich and Anisimova along the way. Benchich won yeah. the title in Charleston, so she came in with some good form. Anisimova made the quarterfinals in Madrid and Rome, so she came in with good form too. So she beat really good players that were in form, and she did it in three sets. So I'm I'm personally proud of Fernandez. I know there's yeah. some people there's some people that I talk to often who don't really. Um, they don't love her disposition for whatever reason. They think she's kind of, they think she's kind of Karen ish, which I personally can't see, but I enjoy the way that she fights for every single point And she doesn't have any knock you out or knock you down to your feet kind of weapons outside of the fact that she's going to be right. there point in point out and not give you any kind of, any kind of openings. And if, and if you give her opening, she's definitely going to take it. So I appreciate that. I like yeah, that. I think she's like an important personality and type of game to have in the mix like with this younger crop of like Anisimova, Andreescu, uh, Raducanu, Coco Goff, uh, Iga, like just a sort of different style of play, um, something to add because we're getting like this real good group of young players here and I think like she brings something to the table with them. I do, I agree. The 23 and younger group is really good. Like all those names you mentioned are not even, some of them aren't even able to buy a drink at your local pub in America. So um, I think we're going to be in for a good, 
the WTA is in that weird that weird era where it's like Serena and Venus and the Azarenka, Kerber, Kvitova, Muguruza, Pliskova crew are on their way out slowly, or some of them are some of them are already out um, in their own way. And then we have these twenty three younger people coming up, but they're not quite grabbing all the titles. So we'll we'll, mm. we'll see. We'll see. I mean, well, speaking of grabbing titles, before we get out of here, I'm interested to see who you think is going to win the tournament on the women's side. And then we'll get to the men. <laughs> my, my women's prediction is just a complete disaster. Uh, <laughs> I, had, I had Iga winning the title over Bianca Andreescu in the finals. And uh, Benchich ruined that for me. Sure did. <laughs> um, I thought she would pull that. I had like Badassa in the semifinals. Um, I had Jill Teichman in the semifinals. And then she goes and wins like three points against Sloan. <laughs> Uh, so she made a fool out of me in that one but like if we were to end up for all these like upsets and the top 10 going out if we end up with like a Swiatek Coco Golf finals like no one's going to remember all those things we were complaining about earlier that would be a fantastic final I agree and that final is almost close to what I had in my fantasy draw I actually had Kasakina in the final Oh, I've got her, uh, I have her like in the semis or quarters, so I'm like very proud of myself for predicting Kazakina to go that far. She's a cool cat. Right? I like how she kind of just goes under the radar and she hasn't, dropped, she hasn't <laughs> dropped a set all tournament. She made the semis of Rome and lost to Anj Jabor, held a match point. And I think she's like, she's playing with a chip on her shoulder because of the fact that no one's like, oh yeah, Kazakina's going to win the French Open. And then if she lifts that title, it'll be like, on one hand it'll be like oh my god there goes another random champion but to me it'll be like this has been something she's been progressively working for each season because she's not like she doesn't have titles to her name like you know right she's a good she's a good player and of course coco golf getting to the final would be epic for like american tennis and all that you know i went back and found a tweet that from December that where I predicted Coco Goff would win the 22 French Open. So she's doing okay so far. Uh, her yeah. quarterfinal with Sloane Stevens will be interesting. That's a match I want to see. That's a match I want to see, but I'm nervous because the last time they played, it was a dud. So I'm interested to see what's going to happen. They played That's the always Open. a possibility when Sloane Stevens is playing now. But she won that match and it was still a dud at the U.S. Open. I just was like, where, Coco, where'd you go, love? Like, where'd you, where'd you go? Oh, but yeah. I, think, I think this is going to be a good matchup, but I'm, 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 I'm not going to say who I'm edging towards because every time I say who I'm edging towards, the opposite freaking happens. <laughs> no, nah, I'm interested to see Sloane Stevens go on the offense and Coco be on defense and see which one's out. We'll see. There's, there's going to be a bunch of movement on, on that court, for sure. Some good mm-hmm. athletic movement. So what do you think about the men's side? That's nowhere near as interesting, but I have to ask. <laughs> My dumbass has Alcaraz beating Tsitsipas in the finals. And I had Tsitsipas in the finals, too. Don't feel bad. Yeah, no, that little <laughs> Danish weasel just ruined that this morning. <laughs> um, but no, I think Djokovic is going to beat Nadal. And maybe wishful thinking, just having Alcaraz beating Djokovic, or if I just can't bring myself to put Djokovic in the finals. Um, but I think that would be like the most entertaining result is to have Alcaraz win. I agree. I, I think Alcaraz in the final moves tennis forward way more than Djokovic right? in, in another French Open final. Just mm-hmm. for my personal like wants, I, I don't want Djokovic to lift a third French Open title. And then in that bottom half, it could be Rude or it could be Rublev. So somebody with an R. Um, <laughs> yeah, Rude, Rune, Rublev. And then mm-hmm. <laughs> Medvedev and Chilich. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Medvedev still being in this tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting. I mean, it could be somebody, it could be that Rude, Medvedev, or Rublev mix. Because, I mean, I do think Alcaraz is human, right? Like, if he gets to the final of a Grand Slam, he's going to have to look up and be like, oh, wow, like, Part of me wants to believe he's human, and the other part of yeah. me wants to believe he's a superhero that came out of nowhere. Right. Not out of nowhere, but just has finally found or is finding his powers, mm-hmm. um, like a Marvel character or something. But anybody but Djokovic at this point. Hashtag anybody but Djokovic. 
I think the most satisfying ending would be Alcaraz just like destroying Holger Rune in the final because I'm so sick of Holger Rune whining about how Alcaraz is getting all the attention and he's not the only 19 year old doing well at this tournament. He, did, um, and he like, did make some moves for himself in beating Sitsipas, so that was that was a good match. Well, good match for Rune, not for Sitsipas. Alcaraz like won two uh, huge titles and beat Nadal and Djokovic up here and like. Holger Rune made the semis of Lyon. Oh, and, and won Munich after like, retirement. Like, yay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Congrats. You, like, beat Cam Nori or something. Like, that's <laughs> not on the same level, but <laughs> He actually beat Botik von de Sanslu to uh, Well, Botik von de Sanslu He's the one who retired, retired right? Yeah. He retired in the Munich final to give uh, Rune his first title. So, yay. <laughs> <laughs> God, and I feel like he's just never going to let us like forget that he won Munich. Yeah, he doesn't have the most inviting or, or like the personalities of those two 19-year-olds are very different, but I think the games are are entertaining to watch. I'll say that. Yeah. And it should be it, it should be a very entertaining um what how many more days do we have of the French Open? 6. It ends on I'm on summer vacation. I don't know what day it is. <laughs> As we record this, it's Monday, May 30th. Happy Memorial okay. Day, by the way. Right. And it, the, the tournament ends on like, the men's final is set, set to be Sunday, June 5th. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six more days of Roland Garros. See, this is why the first week is so much better because there's always stuff happening and like it, finding out that it's Monday and that <laughs> we still have a whole week to go. And I feel like there's like six players left in the tournament like what are we going to be doing for this whole week just i know what i'm going to be doing well i have to go back to work unfortunately but if i'm not working i'm going to be sleeping i might be sleeping at work (laughs) 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 and i'm going to enjoy all of that i'm going to enjoy sleeping (laughs) and watching tennis from my desk i am going to enjoy it Well, this has been super fun. This yeah. is super fun. I, I'm glad that we we set aside some time to get you on the podcast and talk about your favorite slam, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that you wanted to leave the listeners with before we get out of here? I I just think people need to give Roland Garros a chance. Like, <laughs> this, it's just so entertaining to watch, and they hit so many different kinds of shots, and like the points last longer than three shots, unlike Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. Like, you know what I will say people. the the replays of the sliding mm-hmm. it does aesthetically it it, it pleases me. Right. There's a certain there's a certain player who slides and their butt jiggles when they slide. I'm going to leave that up to interpretation. Name names. Uh, <laughs> nope. I'm going to leave it up to interpretation. <laughs> but if you, if, if you, if you can guess who I'm talking about, that particular slide is very aesthetically pleasing to me. Is that person and still in the tournament? They're still in the tournament. They're still in the tournament. So make your, make your best guess. It's pleasing to me and my homegirls. It is. It's not Medvedev. It's not Medvedev, no. It's but his Medvedev. shorts his shorts are shorter this time around. And I'm listen, when I was watching the Nadal, well, I mean, just hat out of the bag. It's Nadal. But <laughs> the Nadal versus Felix match, I was like, Felix, you have great enough legs to not wear nine inch shorts. Hike them up. Give me the five inch shorts. Like you don't you don't play tennis since you were five years old and have magnificent legs to go out there in nine inch shorts. Yeah. This is this is the this is probably the fact that I've been in quarantine for five days talking. But I want to see five inch shorts. That's what I want to see. If you're gonna be sliding, if if if, if Roland Garros is not gonna be my favorite tournament, the least I could get the least I could get is aesthetically pleasing men playing tennis. That's all. And I mean, with Dominic team on the sidelines, you got to take your wins where you can get them. You got to find something to look at. You know, he, he didn't, he didn't particularly wet my whistle, but I do, I do see certain pictures where I'm just like, I could see how he would wet somebody else's whistle, but just not mine, not mine yet. Maybe, maybe if he does like an epic comeback, I'll be able to appreciate all the That was like barely done. even a metaphor. That's just like <laughs> straight. <laughs> <laughs> that's not even innuendo at that point <laughs> i do miss him though i do miss him it was a tragedy to see him go out of the first round like he did but i do I, I, tennis is better when he's playing top-notch gear tennis but that wrist injury man i don't yeah. i don't know it's unfortunate yeah. um well, he was, go play some challengers yeah oh he that's the thing he did and he didn't win a match or a set <laughs> oh andy murray just won a first round of a grass challenger today in really yeah 
Oh, I was going to say we're ending on such no. a sour note, but that's a good note to end yeah. on. <laughs> if you, for the people who don't like Roland Garros, like grass season has already started in grass is coming challenger. Yeah. Andy Murray's plan. Mm. So now I have something to go watch on the illegal streams. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, this has been fun. I can't wait to have you back on to talk about more tennis. Absolutely. And to, again, tell the listeners where they can find you on Twitter with all of your amazing uh, tennis insight. <laughs> I gotta double check. My Twitter handle is slomo delpo, S L O M O underscore delpo. It's yeah, about. 75% tennis insight, 25% pornographic material. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. It's, it's we'll, all PG. We'll, we'll put an explicit tag on the episode. Actually, all of my episodes, <laughs> all of my episodes have that because we're grown and we're adults. We can talk about whatever we want to. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was allowed to curse or not, so I try to keep it under control. This time. Nope, it's completely fine. Next time you're on, you can let, the, you can let it all hang out. All right, let's fucking get on. <laughs> all right. <laughs>